If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn in it to Galatians chapter 5. So we're in Paul's letter to the early church where he is explaining how the good news about salvation in Jesus affects how you live. So this is the part of the letter that's, we've already had the gospel, now what do you do with it? How does that change things? It's the gospel culture that flows out of gospel doctrine. So our passage is Galatians 5, 16 to 18. We're going to read that, but we'll start with verse 13 just to connect it to the train of thought that went before it. So we're going to jump right in. This is God's word to us today. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 18, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. Lord, we call for and anticipate the ministry of the Spirit, which is to open up your words meaning to us, to illuminate it, and especially to point us to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so we ask now for you to do that. We came in here with all sorts of things on our mind. We've got distractions, what we're going to do later today or this week or whatever. But now we ask for your Holy Spirit to rest upon us and give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the big takeaway from the passage that we just read. Life transformation only happens by the influence of the Holy Spirit. Whatever godly character you want to see increase in your life, whatever sins you'd like to break free from, it will only happen to the extent that you are walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Those are the two concepts that are the bookends of the passage. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Those truths and the explanation in between are about how you go from where you are now to where God wants you to be. It's to become more and more like the person in verse 13 that I started with who doesn't use their freedom as a forgiven son or daughter of God as an opportunity to indulge the sinful desires, but instead who through love serves others. A person like Jesus. Would you like to see more of that in your own life? Paul's point is that the Holy Spirit is the key to that life transformation. So we're going to see how we avail ourselves of his power for change as we work through the passage. 
And our first observation is going to be this, which is that the influence of the Spirit is what will change you. The influence of the Spirit is what will change you. From verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Last week we talked about the flesh and what that is. The flesh is the person that you are apart from the renewal that Christ brings into our lives. To use the language of Romans 7.18, it's the realm of no good things dwelling in me. Uh, it's the residual habits and desire for sin, the things that uh, ought not to be done that I still have a temptation towards. So to gratify the desires of the flesh means you give way to the indulgence of those sinful things that still attract you. And Paul says there's something that will keep you from doing that. In the Greek original, it's an emphatic statement that reads more like this. As you walk by the Spirit, there is no way that you're going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. It just won't happen. In other words, those two things are mutually exclusive, walking by the Spirit and fulfilling the desires of the flesh. You can't have both at the same time. They're, they're incompatible. So let's talk about the implications of that statement. Whatever walking by the Spirit means, it is the solution to your battle with sin. It is how you will break free from the things you know are wrong and how you begin to live in the ways that are right and good and perfect according to God's will. If you want to stop looking at porn, if you want to stop giving in to anger or fear or a critical spirit or some self-destructive habit, it will happen as you walk by the Spirit. Uh, my son Josh has a hat that says, can stop, will stop. And I never got it. I didn't understand that hat at all. I thought, well, that's probably some cool thing that's really relevant for your generation. And I don't know the context, so I don't know what that means. And if I asked, he'd probably say, Dad, you just don't understand. <clears throat> but like, without knowing where the hat came from, it's a good summary of what Paul is saying. You can stop and you will stop gratifying the desires of the flesh if you walk by the Spirit. Amen. It will happen. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says it's guaranteed to work. There's a sure pathway from where you are now to where God wants you to be. And it's called walking by the Spirit. So what does it mean then to walk by the Spirit? Because whatever that is, that sounds encouraging. Give me some of that, please. <laughs> well, there are lots of ways to say it, but I think in the essence of it, it's the concept of influence. When you walk by the Spirit of God, the Spirit is exerting a controlling influence on your life. He's, he's taking you away from sin and toward holy living to the renewed and redeemed life that Christ purchased for us. You've probably heard of social media influencers. I mean, that's a new category that I just found out is like a career for people. 
Like, if you can become an expert in something and you can get that on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and you can get 100,000 followers, like, you can make a living doing this. You just keep posting stuff and everybody wants to hear it and then they'll buy the products and stuff. So here's, here's the definition of an influencer. I found this on a marketing website. An influencer is someone who has the power to affect the purchasing decisions of others because of his or her authority, knowledge, position, or relationship with their audience. So the influencer, who's like, say, the expert on health stuff, right? And, and this influencer says, well, here is, I've tested them all, here is the best juicer on the market, right? And you're like, yeah, I got to get that thing because I want to be healthy. Or they say, here's the perfect meal replacement shake which has every nutrient known to man. You have one of those every day, you're going to feel amazing. And you're like, yeah, i got to get that. I'm going to buy that thing right now. Click here. Right? There's power there to influence your decisions. Walking by the Spirit is something like that. It's like you've subscribed onto the Holy Spirit's feed He's the influencer affecting the decisions you make. Now, we're going to find out he's more than just an influencer because in the next point, we'll see he's actually the power for change. He does the, the root-level stuff that makes you able to do it, but he is influencing you. He will change the decisions you make. He will make you say yes to sin and say no no, like say yes to holiness, no to sin. That's what he'll do. Strike that out of the recording. <laughs> All right, we have an example of just how he does it. What's his mechanism? What's he posting on his feed? What is he sending into the soul? Um, we have a, an example in Galatians 4, 6, and 7. It says, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You see, God has sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts. That's where He resides. Not on the internet out there somewhere, but right here, right inside. And He's saying something. He's, he's convincing you of something, which is that, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who said, Abba, Father, you have the same right to approach God that way with the same confidence that He is your Father, that you are a son or a daughter. You're an heir of all of the blessings that He promises to us, to the righteous, and we are righteous in Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is saying, look, you have God as your Father. He loves you. He's for you. And he sent his son on the cross to die for your sin. So you're not a slave. And so when those kinds of thoughts get into your head and you embrace it and you believe it, then you think, why would I want to sin against this God? Why would I want to do the things that Jesus had to die for in order to atone for it? It starts to change. It influences your decisions. One of the saints from long ago put it this way. He said, There is no spring of holiness so powerful 
as that which our Lord assumes, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. What he said to the woman caught in adultery. Free and warm reception into the divine favor is the strongest of all motives in leading a man to seek conformity to him who has thus freely forgiven him all trespasses. A cold admission into the paternal house by the father might have repelled the prodigal and sent him back to his lusts. But the fervent kiss, the dear embrace, the best robe, the ring, the shoes, the fatted calf, the festal song could not but awaken shame for the past and true-hearted resolution to walk worthy of such a father and of such a generous pardon. Those are the kind of thoughts that the Spirit puts into our hearts when we walk by the Spirit. His influence is to open our eyes to see the redeeming love of God in Jesus Christ and all that we have in Him. And that changes us when we believe and we embrace it. We want to put away sin and we want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now we'll come back to the practical question of how. How do we walk by the Spirit? And that will be in the last point, what it looks like day by day. But first, let's talk more about why this works, why walking in the Spirit results in you saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. The second observation, the change happens at the root level of desires. The change happens at the root level of desires. This is in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So the word for at the beginning of that means this is Paul's explanation of why you won't gratify the sinful desires if you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And what he's telling us is that change happens at the root level of desires. Desires need to change in order for our behaviors to change. He mentions the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. And he says those two things are opposed to each other. The spirit wants only that which is going to bring honor and glory to God and to Christ as the center of the universe. But the flesh wants to glorify ourselves and put ourselves in the center of the universe. And the result of this opposition is it keeps you from doing the things you want to do. Now, what does all that mean? Well, some would say that what's described here is like the battle, that the battle between the flesh and the spirit is something like the battle between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker in The Empire Strikes Back. So if you've seen it, they're on this catwalk and they're going at it with lightsabers and... Uh, this catwalk is over this abyss, this cavernous drop somewhere in the cloud city where they are. And they're going at it, and they're going back and forth, and they're giving and taking, you know, blows with their lightsabers. And you just know somebody's going to fall off this catwalk. Somebody's going down. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. And in that particular scene, Luke, Luke loses because he finds out Darth Vader's his father and he can't handle it, so he drops. <clears throat> but you just know... In the end, I know, I know Darth Vader's got to lose. He's going to have to. And, and he will by the end of Return of the Jedi. 
And some people think, well, that's kind of what our struggle against sin is like. The spirit and the flesh are going at it, and you just never know which one's going to win on any given day, whether you're going to choose sin or you're going to choose holiness. Sometimes you want to do good, but the flesh prevents it. Sometimes you want to do bad, but the spirit prevents it. And you have God's promise, though, that sin is going to lose in the end, because Galatians 5.5 5 says, Through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Well, the battle with sin might feel like that, but I don't think that kind of scenario does justice to the assurance of verse 16. Because that verse says, When you walk by the Spirit, you will win. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's emphatic. Sin won't win the day. And that's because the flesh and the spirit are not equal combatants in this fight. The spirit has all the power of God to enable you to overcome the sinful desires of the flesh. Your your Christian conversion, if you are a believer in Christ, started with you being a slave to sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were in the flesh totally, and yet the Spirit regenerated you. You were born again by the Spirit. You were taken out of death into life. So that's no problem for him to do. The flesh can't do anything against the Spirit. It's not just between the battle of the Spirit and the flesh like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. So where's the real battle? Well, it happens at the level of our desires. We either operate according to the desires of the Spirit or we operate according to the desires of the flesh. The remaining habits, the sinful temptations that we have. That's where the competition is. It's going on in our hearts. It's about which desire is going to win, which desire is going to be the strongest desire, the controlling desire. And Paul says when we walk by the Spirit, by the desires of the Spirit, that is a controlling desire that absolutely wipes out and defeats the other one every time. We won't gratify the desire of the flesh when the desire of the Spirit is the thing that reigns in our heart. We get power over our sinful desires. The Spirit makes us desire holiness more than the sin. He makes holiness more pleasurable, more attractive. And we are always going to go after what gives us the most pleasure or minimizes our pain. Change happens at the level of our desires. And I think this is born out of other scriptures. I'll just mention two of them. The first is James 1, 14 and 15, which says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. So you see what the origin of sin is. It's desire. That's where it starts. Sin always begins with desire, something you want. And in this case, James is talking about the desires of the flesh, things you want but you shouldn't. So if sin always begins with desire then the only way to really guarantee that you don't sin is to change the desire or overpower that desire with a stronger one. 
And this is the root level where the Holy Spirit changes us. He doesn't just change our behaviors. He changes what we desire. That's what we see in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. God says this to his people, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There's a lot there, but let me just point out one thing. It says that when God puts his spirit within us, he gives us a new heart and a new spirit. Meaning our heart and our spirit are renewed and changed. It means we change at the root level of what we want, what what we value, what we love, what we think is beautiful and life-giving, what it is that we really want to do today and tomorrow. That's what changes because the source changes. The desire changes. The heart is new. And the result of that heart change is that we walk in His statutes and we obey His rules. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Change the desires and you change the behavior. Walk by the Spirit and His desires become your desires and it keeps you from doing the sinful deeds of the flesh. And I think we know this is the only way to lasting change. If we don't change the heart, we don't change the behavior. For example, we know that porn is easily accessible 24-7, anybody who's got a phone or a computer, right? So let's say you're a parent and you've got kids and you put filters and parental controls in place um, because you want to keep it out, keep it out, out, of their, out of their eyes, out of their phones. But you know that that only goes so far because... People who really want to do stuff are going to find a way. You're going to get around that eventually, right? The only way you can truly prevent gratifying the desires of the flesh in that area is to make something else more desirable, like walking in the freedom of Christ, like not being a slave to sin, like realizing Jesus is my life. He's better than the porn. He's the real satisfaction. And I want that so much, I'm going to say no to this other thing. It has to happen in the heart. Let me ask you this. If you've ever had a breakthrough in your life where there was real change, where you got victory, over a sinful habit, or where you grew in some characteristic of the godly life. How did that come about? I would guess that it did not come about just by somebody pointing you to the law, to the commands of God, telling you, stop doing that and start doing this. I doubt the change ever happened that way. Because the law has no power to change the heart. It can tell us what to do, but it can't give us the power to do it. Much more likely, your transformation came about because there was a breakthrough in your understanding of God and His grace. The eyes of your heart were open to see the beauty of Christ, the promises of God, and all that is true for us in Christ. And it made the sinful desire or the wrong source of hope less compelling. 
and you started to taste of the fruit of life, and you said, I want more of that. And this other thing that I was doing is just going to rob me of it. That's how I experienced real and lasting change in my life in the area of fear of the future. And fear, you know, is just an inverted desire. You fear losing what you passionately want to keep. What you fear is threatened. Well, before my sabbatical eight years ago, I was very fearful about what is going on in the culture and where it's headed. So I was constantly doom scrolling, <laughs> reading all the negative news, playing out the worst case scenarios in my mind. And I was thinking, if I stay on top of all this, I'll be prepared for what's coming, right? But all that really does is keep you in a constant state of fear, <laughs> Because it leaves God out of the equation and it puts all the focus on you and what you need to do to be ready. That was my state of mind for a good long while. So when I went on my sabbatical, I stopped looking at the news and all the blogs. I just shut that off completely. And I read, my, I read God's word more and more and more. I needed to hear his voice, and I came across a connection between two texts that relieved me of this fear and made me walk in peace. One was Ruth 3.9, where Ruth says to Boaz, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer, which was a proposal to marriage. You're my redeemer. Marry me. Take me under your wing." Become responsible for me. Be my protector. Because that's what redeemers do. Then I came across Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. God says to his people, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. I have taken you on as my responsibility. I have become your protector, your provider, your ultimate hope. So that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. <laughs> What's the connection? God has redeemed me in Christ. He has taken me in. He has taken me as his responsibility. So when you get to that flood that you think is going to drown you, when you get to that fire that you think is going to burn you up, I'll be there, and that will make all the difference. I will get you through it. That gave me peace that hasn't gone away, and that was eight years ago. Now, I won't say that fear of the future is not a temptation at all. It still is. But it's not the controlling force in my life anymore. It's not affecting my decision-making. Because the Holy Spirit has worked through the Word at the root level of desire and awareness of what's really my hope. And he makes those promises to all of us, by the way. Every one of us in Christ. Bottom line, real change doesn't happen by adding more law to your life but by, or by piling on guilt about what you're not doing. It comes as we walk by the Spirit and he makes holiness more desirable than sin. Now, we haven't talked about how we actually walk by the Spirit. 
how we avail ourselves of his transforming power. So let's finish with that. The last observation is we must place ourselves under the Spirit's influence. We, we have to do something. We must place ourselves under his influence. Like, yes, he resides within us, and he's doing a work. He's begun a work. He will be faithful to complete it. He's moving us in a certain direction, and yet we are called to cooperate. We are called to be a part of that process. Our day-by-day experience of peace and freedom in Christ is going to depend somewhat on what we're doing whether we're going along with it, whether we're putting ourselves in the stream and the flow of the Spirit's power. So let me read verses 16 and 18 together to show you something very interesting. And, and I hope that they, they come up together. Yeah, they do. Good. So verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So two things to notice. First, led by the Spirit is another way of saying walk by the Spirit. Both of them are pictures of, of you walking on a path with the Holy Spirit who's leading you somewhere. Both of those are images of consenting to the Spirit's influence and direction. He's leading, he's leading you're following. You're walking with Him, but He's leading you. So walking with the Spirit or walking by the Spirit means we place ourselves under the Spirit's influence voluntarily. And there are ways that we can do that, which we're going to come to shortly. But notice this also from the two verses. If you're placing yourself under the Spirit's influence, two things are true at the same time. Verse 16, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And verse 18, you are not under the law. This is another statement about how the Christian life works. It means that even though you know keeping God's commands is not the basis of your acceptance before God, that is, you know you are not under the law, even though you know that, you keep His laws anyway. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I know I'm not under the law. I know I'm accepted in Christ. And I'm going to obey his rules. I'm going to obey the laws, even though they can't condemn me. That's how the Christian life works. It's that stimulus to holiness that's born out of gladness and all that God has done for us. It seems counterintuitive. You thought if I remove the threat of the law, then I'm just going to be as godless as I want to be. I'm going to indulge the flesh. But no, actually the opposite thing happens. Now I... I don't gratify the desires of the flesh because I'm not under the law. That's a beautiful thing. The motivation for the Christian life is a change of heart at the deep level. Now it's a joy, not a burden, not a duty. The desire of the Spirit is that we glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's from the Westminster Catechism. And when we place ourselves under His influence, when we're walking by Him, being led by Him, we take on the desires of the Spirit. And so from our hearts, we gladly obey God's commands. We love to do His will. It becomes our worship. So now we can answer the question, how do we walk by the Spirit? Like, what practically can we do to, to nurture this gladness in God and align our desires 
with the desires of the Spirit. Well, you might be expecting some big reveal here, you know, something that nobody has ever written a book on, but now you're going to find out. <laughs> it's actually not quite that stunning, but it is the real answer. It's what we call the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. It's meditating on the Scripture. It's prayer. It's participation in the local church. It's participation in the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Those are the things that put us in the flow of what the Spirit is saying and what the Spirit is doing with His empowering presence. For example... What is the Word of God? How is it described in the Bible? It is the sword of the Spirit, according to Ephesians 6. I'm wielding it right now by preaching from it. The spirits, This is a spirit sword. It is what men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter. This is, he, got, he got this thing written. Exactly the way it needs to be. So when we're in it, when we're in the Word, we are in the flow of the Spirit's activity. We're, we're in His realm now, what He had for us to learn from. The Spirit of truth glorifies Jesus by taking what is the Lord's and declaring it to you, from John 16, 14. He uses it to point us to Jesus and all that is true for us in Him. To be led by the Spirit is to put yourself under the influence of this book that we call the Bible. Yes, the Spirit also leads us immediately. There is the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this way or that way, sometimes prophetic words from the Spirit to speak into our lives. All of that is true, but none of that replaces the foundation of the authoritative Word of God, which is from the Spirit. The Spirit interprets spiritual truths in the Scriptures to those who are spiritual, according to 1 Corinthians 2.13. That's why I pray, like I prayed this morning, Lord, open our eyes. Spirit, open our eyes, because that's part of His ministry. And so it goes for the other disciplines. When we pray, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. The Spirit is involved in our praying. <laughs> That's Romans 8.26. When we gather in the local church on Sundays and in homes, we worship by the Spirit of God, according to Philippians 3. We benefit from the gifts of the Spirit that have been distributed among the members just as He wills so that we're experiencing administration and helping and prophecy and teaching and leadership and all those things. We're in the, the realm, the environment in which the Holy Spirit is working in multiple different ways. When we engage in witness and making disciples, we experience what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You read Acts, and it's about, it's the Acts of the Apostles is the, the subtitle. It could be the Acts of the Spirit, because the Spirit is the one who's doing this thing, pushing this thing forward, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, transforming lives. And so when you get into the Great Commission, you're in the flow of what the Spirit is doing 
You're walking by the Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit. That is how we walk by the Spirit and are led by Him. If you're in the stream of the spiritual disciplines. And here's what's going to happen. Your desires are going to conform to the desires of the Spirit more and more. You're going to gratify the desires of the flesh less and less. Because holiness will be more desirable than sin. Life transformation is going to happen as you walk by the Spirit. Now, I know some of you will be thinking right now, but I'm doing all that and I'm still struggling with sin. So it doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> so what do you say to that? I would answer this way, three things. <clears throat> First, let's not be surprised that there's still sin in our lives. <laughs> Through faith in Christ, we are counted righteous, but we won't actually be righteous until we're in heaven. In this life, as long as the flesh remains, we will never be free from sin. Martin Luther said, we are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. It's happening. Just don't expect all of your sins to be removed in this life. But they will be. It's part of the hope of righteousness that we eagerly await. But second, remember that as you grow in holiness, you will also see more sin in your life. And it might seem like you are not making progress. Richard Sibbs, from a long time ago, in, in his book, The Bruised Reed, put it this way, Dust particles are in a room before the sun shines, but they only appear then. Sin is like the dust particles. As you grow in holiness, the sun is shining. And now you're starting to see, oh, there's more dirt here than I thought in my life. It's like there's more light, so to speak. The more you see how unholy you really are and always have been, because now you know more and more about holiness, you've tasted of it. So you may think you're getting more sinful when in fact you're getting less sinful. It's just that you're only now seeing the scope of what it really was. But third, remember that not gratifying the desires of the flesh is a process, a trajectory, that can go very quickly in one area and slow in another. I've known people who have been instantly cured of a drug habit when they were converted. Like hardcore addict, and then boom, it's gone. Like that can happen. The Spirit can do that. I, I know of people that that's happened to. But I also know in my own life, some sins can be more stubborn. But it isn't because the power of the Spirit is unavailable or, or that one's too hard for the Spirit. It's because I don't yet love the holiness as much as I love the sin. 
Because we always choose the thing that in the moment, we think that's where my pleasure is going to come from. That's where my security and my hope is. And so sometimes it just takes longer to get it. <laughs> to get the mind of the Spirit, the desire of the Spirit that overcomes that. Here's something we can definitely expect as believers in Christ. Every time you do say no to sin, it is because of the Holy Spirit's influence in that moment. That the Spirit did it. The Spirit won that battle. You did not, you did not gratify that desire because you walked by the Spirit. And as you're doing that, as you're walking by the Spirit, you're going to have more and more of those moments. More of them. More and more victories. So, bottom line, place yourself under the influence of the Spirit by keeping the spiritual disciplines. Let Him point you to Christ. Be in the Word. I don't even take for granted that everybody does that. Because it's one of those things where you think, well, you know, I, I, I've been living my life up till now, and I didn't die, and I didn't read it that much, so it must not be that important. Well, actually, you can't not gratify the desires of the flesh unless you're in your Bibles. You have to have it. And He will help you. <clears throat> but also be in, be in the environment of the church. Be in the environment where we're strengthening one another, bearing one another's burdens. The Holy Spirit is in that. You know, sin thrives where it's hidden, but it doesn't do well out in the open. So God has given us the church to help us. And just be a part of the mission. Um, when you take that step of faith, you might bring up Jesus in a conversation with the non-believer. The more you do stuff like that, the more you sense and experience, God got me through that. My Redeemer carried me through the waters and through the fires. So I think I'll do this again. <laughs> and then trajectory goes more and more to holiness and less and less gratifying the desires of the flesh. The Lord will help us. And He is already helping us. If you're a believer, you are not the same person you were. There is a lot of change, and there's going to be more change. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for not leaving us to ourselves to obey commands. You remove the threat by giving us righteousness in Christ. And then the commands just become a pathway to do what's good and right in your sight, what's good for us. And you haven't left us to do that by ourselves. You've given us the Holy Spirit change us more and more into your image. Help us to avail ourselves of all that you've given to us, all that grace through the Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.